0: This morning, I'd like to continue with the instructions that Bonnie and Bart have been giving um, over the last day or two, and that is the further exploration of thoughts, emotions, mind states, and how we can also begin to investigate how they relate to one another. Just one clarification of terms. I think we're all familiar uh, with how we use the word emotion, all of those different feelings in the mind of love and happiness and sadness and anger and grief you know, and loss and happiness. So we're all familiar with those kinds of emotions. In the Buddhist framework, <laughs> there's also a term called mind states. So mind states is a slightly larger... Uh, container. It includes all the emotions that we're familiar with, uh, but it also includes states of mind that we would not normally consider an emotion, perhaps like equanimity, you know, or, or calm, you know, or peace. Uh, so it's just when you hear the word mind state, and mind here does not mean intellect, you know, mind is really the heart-mind. So it, it includes everything. So just keep that in mind when we speak of mind-states. It includes emotions and all other kinds <coughs> of states of mind that might arise. So one of the things that's interesting to observe is how mind states and thoughts mutually condition each other. and I'm sure you've had the experience many times, sitting quietly, minding your own business, and then a thought may arise in the mind of some past difficulty, some difficult interaction, and just this tiny little passing thought. And as soon as it hits the awareness, (coughs) it can explode into a very powerful emotion. And I've seen this happen so many times. And it's always so fascinating to me. It's like the first thought that comes to my mind after that, (coughs) what just happened? (laughs) Because it was just a thought. It It was just a thought. It wasn't the situation. It wasn't the person actually being there in front of me. It was just a thought. But when we're not mindful of that perhaps very quick thought arising, it has the power just to trigger a whole range of emotional response. What's interesting about noticing the cause and effect relationship there, a thought comes, not mindful of it, strong emotion, if we can watch that process over and over again, it helps us to realize the impersonal nature of it. Yeah, okay, this thought conditioned this emotion and in that awareness of the process, we're beginning to take the I out of it, right? so it's not so much my thought or my anger or my whatever. It's just thought, not mindful, triggering a strong emotion, so it's an impersonal process and it, when we can see that, we don't get so caught or imprisoned by the process and we're able to see the whole show of it with greater equanimity. So I think you would find it interesting just as different thoughts arise in the mind, particular ones that seem to result in an emotional charge of one kind or another. You know, maybe it's a charge from a past memory or maybe it's a charge from some future hope or fear. You know, the thing hasn't happened yet. It was just a thought, but it can trigger this emotional response. This just seems so important. Uh, Undoubtedly at all times in history, but it seems somehow particularly important now. You know, because we're just seeing over and over again in society at large, how thoughts can trigger intense emotions and reactions and then everything blows up. So we can begin watching this process and (coughs) learning to see it as an impersonal unfolding. It creates a lot more space then for wise discernment. (coughs) The conditioning can go the other way too. Sometimes for whatever reason, we find ourselves in the midst of some strong mind state or emotion, and then that very emotion starts triggering a lot of thoughts. So you want to see it play both ways. Sometimes the emotion triggers thoughts, sometimes thoughts trigger emotions, uh, and all of this just becomes a very interesting investigation of how your own minds are working. You know? and the more clarity we have, <coughs> the more discernment and choice we have about what's being cultivated and what can simply be let go of. So that's about the relationship of thought and emotion, which I really uh, suggest you just play with a little bit you know, and understand how they condition each other. The other aspect of the instruction is to become mindful of and look very directly at the very nature of thought. Not the content, not what it's saying, not the story. (laughs) So a question that I found really helpful, and I may have mentioned a little earlier, it's a question that very few people ever ask themselves, and that is the question, what is a thought? Not what is it saying. Not what the, what's the content, but what is a thought as a phenomenon? And this is not something you have to think about. <laughs> because we have plenty of thoughts going through the mind. You don't have to be looking for thoughts to uh, investigate this. There will be plenty of thoughts arising, but when any thought comes just in the course of your practice and you're aware... You know, at some point in the process, you're aware that you're thinking, just in that moment, see if you can just remember that question, whether you articulate it in your mind or not, but remembering the question, "Oh, well, what is a thought?" You know, you've just had it, or you've just had a run of thoughts, so you are actually in the experience of it. You don't have to make anything up. You know, we all experience this endless run of thoughts holding the question from time to time, well, what is a thought? And it's quite remarkable because when we look on that level, not on the level of the story or the content, but on thought as a phenomena, we see that it is barely more than nothing. (laughs) It's so phenomenal. These thoughts, they arise and the content can be so compelling, but as a phenomena, as the nature of thought, we see it's just this little energy blip in the mind. You know, and it's gone. If we're not getting hooked by the content, it has no power at all. And this is the great, uh, you know, call it dilemma or challenge of our lives. when we realize that when we're not mindful that we're thinking, when we're just lost and caught up in the story, as happens perhaps most of the time. You know, so this is a very common conditioning, just being carried away, lost in our thoughts. In that mode, thoughts have tremendous power in our lives. It's like they're little dictators in the mind. Yeah, and our thoughts are just telling us do this, do that, go here, go there, get married, get divorced. <laughs> and we very obediently just follow. <laughs> What's so amazing. And this, you know, this is the, you have such a good opportunity while you're here to see this deeply. You know, to see that pattern, you know, of what it's like when we're being lost in the thought and how it carries us away, often into actions, but very often into different emotional states. So contrast the difference between being lost in a thought, you know, on some thought train, and what that experience is like, and then contrast that with the experience of being aware that you're thinking the difference between being lost in a thought and aware that you're thinking the universe is apart you know in one we're in the contraction of the prison of the story and in the other we're resting in an open spacious empty awareness that's simply knowing whatever it is that's arising so we can get a real taste of the potential freedom of mind just in this very simple exercise. So one way to do this, uh, as I'm sure most of you have experienced, it can be pretty challenging to be mindful of a thought just as they're arising. Right? Sometimes when the mind is clear, We can do that. But more often than not, we become aware that we're thinking, maybe sometime in the middle. You know, oh, oh, I'm lost in a thought. Sometimes after it's over, you know, the whole story is finished, and then we remember, oh, I've been thinking. It doesn't matter when it is that you pick up the awareness of the fact that you're thinking, but don't. Skip over that transition from being lost to being aware. At whatever point it happens, <coughs> just notice as best you can what the difference is in your experience in going from being lost to being awake. And so it's just it's really just a moment's transition. Lost, lost, lost. Oh, thinking and then just rest a moment before jumping back to the body, or the breath, or anything else. That moment is a very significant moment because it really reveals both the empty nature of the thoughts and also (coughs) the power and the potential of awareness. We get a very immediate understanding of the nature of awareness every time we come out from being lost in a thought. Do you follow? We've just gone from being lost to being aware. So if we highlight that moment, it's like, oh, that's what being lost was like. Oh, this is the nature of awareness. So we're developing an insight into some very profound aspects of the practice. And one last piece of good news is that you don't have to worry if you miss it for the first five or ten thoughts (laughs) because there will be many more. (laughs) So this endless opportunity to, to bring the mind back to discern. The difference just in that moment of transition being lost, thinking, what just happened in the mind? What's the difference in the mind in those two spaces? Uh, It reveals so much. Okay, one last little hint. Just notice if there is a conditioned tendency in your mind at all, you know, to be self-judgmental about the fact that you've been lost in thought, especially if it happens again and again and for long periods of time, you know, very commonly, uh, as Bart was saying last night, doubt can arise, restlessness can arise, you know, ugh, so many thoughts, I get lost so often, you know, we get frustrated if that's a pattern, I would just suggest a very simple kind of switch, change of perspective, so that every time you do come out from being lost, I don't know the right word, celebrate the fact that you are already aware. And that moment, lost, 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 and then, ah, oh, thinking, thinking. Well, that should be a moment of delight because you've just gone from delusion to awareness. So take a moment to delight in it, you know, and not only delight, but actually to experience that quality of awareness. We're connecting with something very fundamental in us, you know, this, this potential, this quality of awareness. And every single time we come out from being lost, we have that moment's experience. Because as many times as the mind gets lost, exactly that many times does it awaken, eventually. You know? So don't jump over that moment or discount it or fall into the trap of then looking back and judging oneself because that's just getting lost again. Of course, when you come out of that, you then have another chance to be aware. (laughs) So, I hope this didn't confuse you too much. (laughs) It's very interesting. Uh, The opening lines of the Dhammapada, the mind is the forerunner of all things. It's like, the mind in the big sense, the mind heart, you know everything we do in our lives originates in this heart mind so there's nothing more important we can do than learn about it you know and learn what's skillful and what's not skillful because our whole life has its origin in the mind so that's it for Do you have any questions about your practice, about working with thoughts or emotions? So, as you're, aware, as you're aware of that space of anticipating the thought, but it has not yet come, right. and you're saying that that state itself feels like a bit of a contraction? Yeah, like there's this, like a thought that's forming, but there isn't an explicit thought yet. Yeah. You're giving birth to a thought. <laughs> and the thought is in the birth canal. (laughs) And maybe it's a little uncomfortable. (laughs) I think it's far out that you're seeing it on that level. You know, that's, that's pretty clear mindfulness of being able to see the thought even before it's emerged and to kind of get some sense of its process of emergence so, I would just kind of delight in the fact that, that you're seeing that and simply open to whatever the felt sense of that experience is. Don't try to. It doesn't have to become one way or another. It doesn't have to become easeful. It doesn't have to become contracted. It's just. You're just watching the emergence of that thought and aware of whatever that emergence feels like. Sometimes, as you're mindful right at that point, maybe the thought won't emerge at all. You know, maybe, maybe the mindfulness right at that point, and phew, the thought just recedes again. But sometimes it will. It, sometimes it will you know, come into consciousness. Um, so is there some problem with that, or...? No, I just... It feels like that's the point where I get stuck when I'm expecting something to happen. A good moment to notice <laughs> expectation. <laughs> expectation always throws a monkey wrench into the <laughs> into the process, but they come a lot. You know, we all have different kinds of expectations. So again, it's just to, it's just to track the process of what's happening. I think you're in a good space with it. Um, yeah, and so if you can just settle back and watch it. Uh, Expectation is they're fine. You just notice that and see if you can be with that without feeding it. And, oh, expectation, and then just settle back into watching whatever happens, whether it comes or it doesn't come. Uh, yeah. Don't. Uh, this is general advice for everybody. Don't overthink things. <laughs> you know, the basic simplicity of the practice is simply being aware that all of our experience is just a flow of things arising and passing. That's really all that's happening. And in fact, only six things are ever arising and passing. It's either a sight or a sound or a smell or a taste or a touch sensation or some object in the mind, a thought or an image or a picture. So we think our lives are so complicated. (laughs) Only six things are ever happening. So, one way of relaxing back into the practice is framing it in that way, and just, oh, you know, expectation. some feeling in the body, whatever it is. A, th- a thought, a thought arises in the mind, and it can be, you can become aware of it on different levels. You can become aware of the content, oh, this is planning, this is remembering, <coughs> and that often will happen quite spontaneously. But on another level, you can <coughs> de-emphasize the content and really be looking at, as I mentioned earlier, thought as a phenomenon, just. What is it independent of the content? And that's when we see that it's just its almost nothing. And yet it has so much power when we don't see that. What about when all those six things are arising at the same time? They're not actually arising at the same time, but it happens so quickly that it appears that it's arising at the same time. Um, so, I would just uh, be uh, give emphasis to whatever is predominant in any one moment, and that may change moment to moment. So uh, there are actually two approaches you could play with and interweave the two. So if one of those six things, let's say it's a sensation or a thought, whatever it is, if that emerges and it's really calling your attention is predominant you could either just settle in the experience of that for a few moments right and just see how it develops or you could you could maintain a more open awareness where you're not kind of focusing on a little more of an investigation into it but just staying open to experience uh, It's flow-like nature, that this comes and goes, this comes and goes, this comes and goes. Uh, Sometimes people think that when a lot of different things are happening or happening quickly, that somehow that's a mistake in practice, but it's actually the reverse. It's like as our mind gets calmer and quieter and less caught up in the stories, (coughs) there's something I call NPMs which are noticings per minute. And the NPMs go way up as the mind gets quieter. You know, it's, it's, okay, quiet, and then, not all the time, sometimes it can continue in kind of a slow, easeful way, but sometimes, because we're not reactive, we're just seeing the very rapid change of phenomena. When that happens, and it can be a little disconcerting at first, but if that happens, you might try just to go with it, to, to enter the flow of it, not trying to hold on to any one experience. So that's actually a good thing. I have a follow-up question to your answer, the four hmm. prelingual question. Um, sometimes I feel like I have a fork in the road of whether I choose to have a thought or to not have a thought and at that juncture point, hmm. thoughts? <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so that's, that's a very interesting point. The question comment was sometimes she feels like she's at a juncture in the road where there's a choice to have the thought or not to have the thought. So as with many of the instructions, uh, first I would just play with both just to explore, what's it like when you do this? What's it like when you do that? When you get familiar with each of those processes, you know, so they're not so strange anymore. Then I would add to it, really paying attention to the mind state as you do each one of those. So I could imagine, for example, as an impulse to think and you're aware of it before the thought comes so I could imagine one possibility, if there's the choice not to have, not to think, could be done in different ways. The not to think could be done, you know, where you're clamping down on it, or it could be done kind of maintaining that very open awareness, but because you're not feeding it, the thought just disappears by itself. So those are two very different ways of not having the thought. And it's the same thing if you choose to have the thought, watch the mind as that's happening and see the different attitudes there might be. Yeah. So this is, this is part of your exploration and uh, yeah. it's quite a subtle place, uh, it gets very interesting. rather than saying, I'm thinking, and then just trying to let go of the thought. So when you say investigate, the question was when is it appropriate to investigate uh, thoughts? So are you asking about the investigation of the content of it to try to understand the content? Yes. This this is uh, not textual based what I'm about to say. When the thought is driving you crazy, investigate. (laughs) If it's something less than driving you crazy, I would just let it come and go. And that's not to say that in other contexts, the investigation of the story and the content of thoughts couldn't be incredibly valuable. You know, and so just as a general example, um, you know, when people are in therapy and they're really talking about the content of their emotions and thoughts and going into the content and the conditioning and what it means and how to untangle, all of that's extremely valuable. It's a different process than the meditative process. And there is some overlapping because, as I'm sure you've noticed already, just through the being mindful of what's arising, we, we often are aware of the content in the story. Very often we're just going along and maybe having had the same thought a million times. and then all, of, oh, it's like there's an intuitive understanding, an intuitive insight on the psychological level that we may not have been aware of. So they're not completely divorced these two approaches. But in terms of the mainstream of the development of the meditation, if the thought is not completely compelling, you know, I might say obsessive, or if it's just a thought that has content, but it's not not totally grabbing you in a sustained way, then I think it would be more valuable to just, oh, this is just a thought. You know, and, and to see the impermanent, empty nature of it. Because that's in some way, a more powerfully transforming understanding than that of a particular content. Because here we're really getting a very deep insight into the fundamental nature, empty nature of thought. So when we really get that, that can change our lives. You know, we stop taking our thoughts quite so seriously. Uh, Okay, a bunch of announcements. There was one other thought that I wanted to say, (laughs) but it poked its head out and (laughs) went right back to sleep. Okay, <laughs> so first announcements for the practice leader, who leads the sitting at ten thirty to eleven fifteen. If you ring the bell at eleven ten, so people have a chance to get to the groups that start at eleven fifteen. Okay. Uh, in terms of hall etiquette, you know, and because we're having the groups, and sometimes the groups, you know, go over. Uh, please don't come into the hall after the scheduled time of its beginning. So if the group has gone over and the sitting has already begun, you you can always sit upstairs in room 200, you know, at the end of the hall, upstairs, or sit in the dining room or do some walking. And likewise, for those of you who are in the hall, please, unless, you know, it's a dire emergency, Please don't leave the sitting till the end of the sitting. It's just a way of kind of maintaining a a stillness in the hall. Uh, As of this morning, for those of you who are interested, the trails in the forest are now open. Uh, I think the ice is pretty dangerous with all the ice. Uh, So if you'd like to do... Mindful walking through the woods. Feel free to do it. Don't feel free to do unmindful walking. (laughs) We ought to put a sign mindful walking only. (laughs) And the last one is that. so, how many of you d- decided to, to take the eight precepts? Great. So, at the, uh, at the metta sitting? Yeah, at, at the 345 sitting at the metta, uh, Jozen will just lead the refuges and precepts again, including the eight precepts for those of you who have taken it. So, there's kind of a formal, a formal taking of the eight precepts at that time. So if you are on the eight precepts, please come to that sitting. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.